But we're going to dive into our text today. So we're in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Um, I, I want to just start by saying this. As we enter the book of Revelation, now you're all like, what are we going to be talking about? What did we sign up for, right? I did not know this is where we were going, right? I, I didn't either. God just said this is where we're going, so this is where we're going to go. We are not going to be doing a full book of Revelation, like full-on um, exegetical study. We're actually covering the seven churches of Revelation. That's our series, the seven churches of Revelation. Uh, that's found in chapter 2 and 3, and we're going to bleed into a little bit of chapter 1 as well today, and I know Alistair read that. Um, but we're going to be looking at the seven churches and seeing what, what does God say to the church, and if God said it then, is it timeless enough for us to take it on today and say, let's, let's look at our own selves, let's look at our own lives and see what might be God saying to me today as well? And I think the answer is absolutely yes, uh, that it is important to do so. But I, I, I need to let you know something. Um, I'm not perfect. Did you know that? He knew that. They're like, yeah, wait, what's new? I'm, I'm not. And as I, I want to let you know, as, as, I, as I wrestle week after week with um, sermons or prep, um, I, I do so here first, right? I, I want to do that in my own heart so that I can grab on to the truths that God is presenting and the, the challenges and the, the calls to repent uh, on my own heart. Um, and so as we look at the seven churches, as I've studied through this, as I've talked through it, as I've prayed through it, uh, and just kind of reeled through it, it, it is, it, I'm kind of a wreck. I need to let you know that. I'm kind of a wreck. And I'm, I'm being honest because it, the scriptures have wrecked me. Um, personally, they, they've wrecked me. It's personal. Right? It's, not, it's not like he wrote a letter to the church, and I look at our church and say, oh, we're, we're in big trouble. I just think, personally, this has been challenging to me, and in a good way. And my hope is that that'll be, it'll be challenging to you as well. So I want to let you know that, because I, as, I, as I preach, as I teach, as I let God speak to us through his word, um, I, I want you to know that there's some vulnerability here um, in my own heart. And I know Alistair's usually the one that cries when he preaches, but <laughs> I may do that, Okay. I, it's, it's, difficult. Um, it's difficult to go through a text like this and not feel conviction. And, and I, would, I would even argue this. If, as we go through this text, as we look to the Word of God, as, as we're presented with these letters from Jesus to the churches, to you and me, if we don't feel some kind of conviction, if we aren't feeling some kind of like, oh, I need, I need to really analyze, we probably have a lot of pride that needs to be undone. right? So I, I want us to make sure as we go to this, this is going to be, um, I think, a very freeing time to experience the, the boundless grace of Jesus and the love of God, but it's going to be a time that's going to have to really challenge some of our viewpoints and some of our, some of our actions and our attitudes towards the faith and towards the church, okay? So I want to just pray. Let's just pray and get started. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come together. God, to, to show our love and affection for you. God, to, to offer you all the praise that you are worthy of. God, my prayer is that that would continue to well up inside of us, that our hearts would just want to overflow with love and faith and grace and praise. God, help us today as we look to your, to your word, and God, not only today, every day, but God, today, especially as we enter this new series, as we open the book of Revelation, as we read the letters to the churches. Father, these are letters not only to the churches then, they're letters to us. So God, humble us. God, help us come to you in a in a deep and meaningful way, in a vulnerable way, ready to receive correction, because you know us. We thank you for that. We ask for your grace. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen. All right, so we're in Revelation chapter 2. Um, let, me, let me just read that passage together. It's verses 1 through 7 is where we're going to be today. Uh, it's the letter to the church at Ephesus, the first of the churches mentioned in this letter. He says this, Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them out to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent 
and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of God. So today, we're going to look at the first church, Ephesus, and and see what the Lord Jesus writes and says to that church. And it's a little interesting as we talk about this. Um, I, I was reading a commentary, and they made, made a mention of this, and I'm like, this is me. I remember, I don't know if you remember this ever, but I, I remember those days where you were, you'd be at school, and it was report card time, right? And they'd give you a report card, and they'd, they'd, the teacher had filled it out. It's all in there. And they put it in an envelope, and man, if they wouldn't have just left it open, they sealed that thing, right? And there was a note in there. You had to get it signed by your parents and brought back, and so do you ever feel that feeling? You know, you're walking home. I had that long walk home. I know those of you that were probably a little older than me had the long walk uphill both ways <laughs> back then, right? But we're, that's that long walk home, right? And you know you've got that letter in there. You're like, can I open it and reseal it? What is it going to say? Oh, man, my dad's going to kill me or my mom's going to be or the, It's going to be a great day. Or some of you maybe are like, it's payday today, man. I've done great. I'm getting some allowance after this. Whatever it is. But it's in, whatever it is, you're walking home and the report card is there. And you, you haven't seen it yet but you're going to see it with your parents, right? And maybe you didn't get it like that. Maybe you didn't get the, the piece of paper sealed in the envelope in the long walk home, but maybe you came home and it was already mailed there and your mom's like, so, I got your report card today. Oh no, right? It was a nice spring day, the sun was out and now it's just cloudy. It's, it, you know that feeling though? And, and now your mom or your dad have got your report card and now what do they want to do? They want to talk about it. That's all they want to do is talk about it. It's okay. I, I'm even trepidatious now when my kids get a report card home. I'm like, oh, this is their report card. What's it going to say? Because now it's a reflection, right, on me. And like, are they doing okay? It's, it's, it's weird, right? We don't like report cards. We don't like that. So this is kind of what that is. As we look at the book of Revelation, as we start this off, this is a giant report card for the seven churches. And it wasn't the Apostle Paul Saying, listen, you may be wandering off a couple ways, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like Peter, James, it wasn't someone else writing to the churches. This was the Apostle John who was exiled on the island of Patmos, who received a revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why this book is called Revelation. And he received a revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he had, that was revealed, the Lord Jesus said, write this down and give it to the churches. So John became what? The inspired scribe. Now, granted, I, I don't want to lessen any of the books of the Bible. As Paul wrote uh, to the Corinthian church, he, he did so under the power and, and the direction of the Holy Spirit, right? What is written is inspired by God. But did you know there's more than one and two Corinthians, right? First and second. There's more letters that didn't really make the cut. Because Paul might have wrote, I don't know why. It's up to God why those didn't make it, right? But these ones made it. And these are like the red letter edition letters to the churches. And that becomes a little difficult. I want to start off with, with a little, little bit of setting the stage. And Alistair read some of this. I'm just going to briefly look. If you look at chapter 1 real quick with me. A few of the things there in verse 4. It says, John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is and the one who was and the one who is to come. Who's this letter from? Je <laughs> this is from the Lord Jesus, right? The one who, who was and is and is to come. Going on down uh, later on, he says, to him uh, who loves us and has set us free. So he's talking about this, this awesome Jesus. He's loved us and he set us free from our sin by his blood. He's made us a kingdom of priests, right? Welcomed us uh, into the family. Made us a kingdom of priests uh, to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever and ever. Amen is what the text says there. That there is an authoritative one that we can't answer to. And we see John saying, hey, listen, the Lord Jesus is wanting to catch our ear here. Then in verse 12, he says, I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe with a, with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. And it goes on to describe the Lord Jesus here. He is saying, wow, I, I heard, and I turned, and I saw. And when I turned and saw, I saw seven golden lampstands. We see that later on at the end of this chapter. It, seven lampstands uh, are the churches. The seven churches, they're the lampstands. 
And the one that's in the middle of those churches is who? The Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who was and is and is to be. This is who it is. And I want you to just understand something really quickly. Like, like we're going to see a lot of this lampstand illustration, some stars he's holding, the Son of Man in the middle. Um, the lampstands are the churches. And what, what does a lampstand do? What does it do? It illuminates. Good. It holds the candle that then will illuminate. Do you understand that as a church, as a lamp stand? Our job is not to be the light. We aren't the light, but we hold the light, and we light the light. We keep the light going, and the light shines, and, and all of the lampstands are gathered around whom? The Lord Jesus. And who does this light shine towards? Jesus. See, w- w- the church should be showing off Jesus. The flame in us should be brightly shining towards Christ. Not towards us, towards our works. Uh, we shouldn't even be like, hey, look how great our lampstand is. It doesn't even matter if there's no flame on top of it. And what Jesus is saying is, watch out. I'm going to come wipe out that lampstand. I'll get a new one. I'll find another one. He's the authoritative one. And, and he deserves the light to be shown on him and, and the radi- radi- to radiate his glory and to be seen for who he really is. So he sees uh, the, the seven golden lampstands. He sees the one among them, the Son of Man, dressed in a robe with a golden sash around his chest. It was on the hair and his head was white as wool. His eyes were like flaming fire. His feet were like bronze as fitted in a furnace. His voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. A sharp double-edged sword came out of his mouth and his face was shining like that of the sun at full strength. What's the response going to be? Oh dear. Whoops-a-daisy. Right? Remember Isaiah? Right? When I saw this, I fell at his feet like a dead man. There's no, I mean, there's no other response we should have. Like, just, I'm dead. I'm dead meat. I'm toast. Then he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. He says, I am the first and the last. It, it kind of, I think it's irony almost, right? This awesome, amazing king of kings, lord of lords, judge of all, brilliant radiance. You know he's pure. You know he's holy. He's before you. You fall down like dead meat. Then he puts his hand on you and says, don't be afraid. And then what else does he say? I, I, he's, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. Oh, no, I'm afraid. Now I'm more afraid. Okay, I'm more afraid now about that. And I'm the living one, and I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Okay, I'm not afraid. This should, this should like, develop inside of us some deep awe. Deep awe. The one who holds the stars, right, the one who radiates the brilliant as the sun, who is the exact representation of the Father, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the living one, is there before him. And he says, don't be afraid. He says, therefore, write. He said, I want you to, I want you to tell the story. He says, write. And here's what he says, and this is kind of how you could sum up the book of Revelation. And we're not going to go through the whole thing, but this will help be helpful to us. He says, write what you have seen, what is and what is to take place after this. So the book of Revelation is summed up in those three things. What you have seen, what is, and what is to take place after this. Now we can study the book of Revelation another day and compartmentalize and figure those out. People are still trying to do that. But we're going to go look at the seven churches and, uh, and see what that says there. So today, as we look at this, we got to understand this is a letter to the churches and it comes from Jesus himself. It comes from the one who is and was and is to be, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. It comes from him. He's the one that's going to give us our report card. Not your mom, not your dad, the Lord Jesus himself. So as we go through these churches, we're going to see a common theme throughout most of them. And we're going to kind of explore three different areas in each church. Uh, the first area will be the, the approval. What did Jesus say you're doing right? The second area will be the accusation. Like what, what are you doing wrong? What are you really not not knowing, or you could do better. And the third will be the admonition or the invitation. Like, here's, the, here's what I'd like you to do. And so we'll see that in every one of these churches. So t- today, we'll start there. As we look at the church at Ephesus, it is the loveless church, is the title of the sermon. And number one, uh, the approval is this, your doctrine and your diligence. Your doctrine and your diligence. So he's writing this letter, and now we, we better be listening and seeing this. By the way, what was interesting about this book, this, this revelation, it was taken, the entirety of it was taken to the churches and read all the way through. 
So when they came to Ephesus first, because it was closest to Patmos, right, and they, they read this through, Ephesus also got to hear the report card on their churches. And then if they, imagine being a church kind of midway down, like midway you know, through, and you, you start hearing all these other names like, oh, oh, man, oh, man. And you're like, oh, wow. And then what are you wondering? What's mine going to say? Well, he's coming up on ours pretty quick. What's he going to say? That's that report card feeling, right? So I, I want us to understand and think, think about something real quick. If we think about this being the Lord Jesus, and he's the one writing the letters, we have to understand he sees everything. He knows everything. He knows the good and the bad, right? The commendable and the contemptible. He knows where we need to be encouraged and affirmed, and he knows where, what we need to be confronted about and condemned. So here, here are a couple big questions, and maybe you want to write these down. But I think these are some big questions, and as I say, I'm struggling through this, and I'm reeling through this. It's because of these questions. And, and if we can answer these in, in the affirmative, uh, then we're in a good spot. First question to think about. Do we, do you and I have ears to hear what Jesus has to say to us? Do we have ears to hear? Are we ready to listen? I hope we are. Are we open to seeing ourselves as he sees us? I, I, I mean, I have to really think about that. Am I really open to that? Will we do what he calls us to do, even though it will be costly or humbling or hard? Will we be willing to do what he calls us to do? I think that's how I want to set this stage. With you and I saying, you know what? I want to hear from Jesus. I know he sees me. I know he knows me. I, I want to see what he sees in me so I can, I can be more like him. I can change if I need to do that. Listen, if we approach this text in any other way, it is in pride. It is in defiance. It is saying, I, I don't really want what you have to say. We want, we'll, we'll do our best to deflect and defend and dismiss whatever he has to say. So I, I, I think we ought to come to it in that way, okay? So let's look at the approval. Let's look at the good. I love this. Uh, Ryan, you always talk about a criticism sandwich, right? Let's make a criticism sandwich. We'll start with the good, then we'll start with the bad, then we'll say something good again, right? It's like an, to me, it's like an Oreo, right? You have the cookie, then you have the cream in the middle. Of the cookie. So it just makes it all feel a little better. He starts with some approval. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 6. It says, write to the angel of the church of Ephesus. The angel would be the messenger of that church or the pastor of that church, the, the elder, the shepherd. Write to the one that's there that's going to read this in front of the church. Thus says the one. So this is what he says to say. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Pretty powerful. Seven stars, seven golden lampstands. Among, again, among the churches. He, he, he walks, he's among them, he knows them. These churches were prominent places of, of, of influence. <clears throat> he walked among them. He, his spirit was there. He says, I hold the seven stars. I, I want you to think about the church at Ephesus. Who was their pastor? Anyone know? John was, was at some point, right? Timothy, right? Starts with a P, ends with all. Paul? I mean, this church, if this was a church that had stars... This was a church that had stars, right? And, and this is, Jesus is saying, like, I know, I, I hold, what do you say? I, I hold these stars in my hand. What is Jesus making sure we know? He's, he's the one that's the star. I, yes, I've given you some great leaders, some great teachers, but you don't worship your pastors. You celebrate the Lord Jesus, and, and he's the one that is giving you this word now. To the one who walks among this, or, uh, Yes, in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Verse 2, I know your works. So here's what he says, I know, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your endurance. I, you know you can't tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardship for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. That's a great list of things, right? It's a great, Jesus is like, listen, I, I, I'm watching, I see 
The first thing that, that really caught my attention, though, is, and in verse 2 is this. The first two words. What, is, what are they? I know. I know. That is a difficult pill to swallow sometimes. But it should be a lovely thing as well. Listen, the Lord Jesus knows you. He sees you. He knows what's on the inside. You can't hide from him. We try, right? We try to cover it up with, look how good I'm being, Dad. He's like, I, I know. I know what's going on in your heart. I know. And I know your works. I know your labor, your endurance. So, so know that Jesus knows here. 2 Timothy, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. It's from the heart. We turn from the heart away from wickedness because God knows us. Listen, he's saying, you guys are doing awesome. You have all these works. You have these projects you're working on. You, you sign up for everything. You are, you, are, you are like the model church. Way to go in your actions. Way to go. You're doing amazing. You have some stars that have been there, and obviously they've fed you and, and set some awesome things in place. You've done well, but still I know. I know. You see, and, and that's what Jesus says. He looks at us and says, listen, I, I know you're doing great. I know your, your works are, are huge. You're, you're right in line, but I still know. What does he know? He knows the reason or the lack of reason that we're doing them or not doing them. He knows. He, look, well, well, Jesus, look what we've done, we'd say. Look, look at how amazing this is. And he's like, I, I, what, what does he say? He's like, some will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, look at We've done miracles in your name. And what does he say? I, I never what? I never knew you. You never, never responded to me from the heart. You, you had all these works and all this righteousness, but you didn't know me. They, they even knew to watch out for false teachers. In, in Acts, they were preached uh, about that. Men, men will rise up from your own number and distort the truth and lure the disciples uh, into following them. Therefore, be on alert. They, they took this to heart. Remembering day and night, Paul says, for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. Paul's like, it's so important to, to do these things and to be on guard and to be a model church and to set yourself up here, but there's more to it than that. Your faith, your heart has to be connected to that. Hebrews 6, the author says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and love. Not just your work. It's not enough just to put in the work. Listen, let me think about a marriage relationship. If you got married and just did the work, what kind of marriage would that be? A what? A de it's dead. A dead marriage. There's, like, there's no love in that. It's just, I'm going to do the work. And, you, and, and listen, Marriages start way different, don't they? They start out of this deep love. And I would say almost some marriages start out of, a, out of a false love, like this total eros, like hot to trot, this is love. And it's not, it's just kind of feelings. It's butterflies and you start. But most marriages say, you know what, I, I love this person. This person loves me. I found that person I can be vulnerable with, that person that, that accepts me with, uh, the way I am and challenges me to be better. The person I want to, to visit with and spend the rest of my life with, to have a family with you, th that's love, right? This is that awesome love. And you marry them in this covenant relationship. You share during a, a wedding ceremony these vows, these deep vows with one another that say, I'm, I'm all in forever. I'm all in forever. Till death do us part and whatever happens. And, th and then we enter this honeymoon, right? And we're like, yes, this is, we're showing how amazing, amazingly committed we are to one another. And then you get back from the honeymoon and what happens? Love will grow cold because life is going on. You work and you're busy and you have struggles and someone dies and then you have kids and, and it feels like someone dies and, and then you have more and then it's like, then you have kids for however long and you have to rear your kids and you put all your love into them every single day. You're choosing to lay yourself down every day. And that love you had at first starts to grow cold and numb and then the kids graduate, and what happens? Marriages end. Like, who, who are you? You live here? I, we had kids, it's empty nest. It's that empty, they call it empty nest syndrome. Why? Because they didn't cultivate that love they had at first. They didn't continue the love. They had works. Boy, they were put together. They had every 
everything going for their kids. They're in extracurricular sports. They had the right uniforms most of the time. They, they did what they could to help their kids get good grades and study hard and be good citizens. And, and they did the works. They went to church together. They sat together. The kids went to children's church. But they didn't rekindle that love. They didn't go back to that first love. And, and that's going to be the accusation here in a minute. God is not unjust. He won't forget your work and your love that you demonstrated for His name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Um, going on, it says, now we desire, so this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying, we desire each of you. So there's a deep desire, and this desire is not, listen, I've got a, I've got a marching orders, I've got a sheet full of works to do and labors to, chores to accomplish. Sign up for these things and you're going to be squared away. It is a deep desire rooted within this deep belief and faith in Jesus Christ that this author says, listen, our desire is for each of you to demonstrate the same diligence, which is good. Doctrine and diligence is what they're being commended for. Uh, for the full assurance of the hope that you have until the end. There's an assurance inside that should well up inside of us. Not just let me just do this task, but I, I'm, I'm doing tasks. I'm working because out of my love for God, out of my love for people, out of my hope in Him. It says you, you do that so that you won't become lazy, but will be imitators. Imitators of those who inherit the promise. Oh, that's, that's important. If we want to inherit a promise, we ought to imitate these people. It says that it'd be imitators of those who inherit the promise through, how, how, is it in, how is that promise inherited? Through faith and perseverance. Not just through works. Not just through obedience. Not just through figuring it out and doing your best. Not, not accomplishing the chores. It was deep-rooted faith. We had a great discussion in our Sunday school class this morning. And we kind of went on a tangent. I'm going on a tangent now. Because um, I, I told you, I feel wrecked about this, right? I'm, I'm like, how does this work? If we, if we were to sum it up in the simplest of forms, listen, you and I have sinned against God and separated ourselves from Him. But God loves you and has pursued you and He's, he's died for you in your place on a cross where you deserve to die. And He's offered you eternal life and forgiveness of sin if you would believe in Him and trust in Him in faith. And that when you do, and when I do, and we trust in faith in Jesus Christ, He gives us that forgiveness that we don't deserve. And He gives us a righteousness that we could never have achieved on our, on our own. He gives us that freely through faith in Christ that you and I would have an eternal hope in Him. And now what He asks of us is that you and I would walk and live by faith. We'd walk and live by faith. It's a simple thing. It, and all, that, all the works and labors will come out of that. He doesn't say, hey, walk and live by just obedience, just works, just you'll figure it out. No, he says, walk and live by the faith. The same faith you had when you came to faith in Christ, let that be your faith that runs every single day, that, that loads over hope and joy every single day. The righteous will live by faith. It's not just about perseverance. And this sets up the problem and the accusation. That goes to number two. What's the accusation? Your approval was what? They said, hey, good, you're doing good things. You're on the right track. I mean, you are a model church in so many ways. But, here's that report card. But, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Again, it's like that marriage love. It's, it's, it was there, and it was fire, and it was, it was a beautiful thing. But you've grown cold in some way. You forgot that. What? What happened here? I want to read out of Ephesians chapter 1. And now, Ephesians is written by the, by the, the Apostle Paul. And he's, he's writing this, uh, this letter to the church about 30 or 40 years earlier than, than Revelations being delivered. So this is a generation earlier. And it should tell us what? If, it, if it's being written a generation earlier and we see some differences, what should it tell us? What's that? Okay, what it was like. And, and if we see what it was like and, see where, and we know where we are, we now see what? Oh, how far we've come or gone. Right? We can see the, the, the waywardness that happens here. Let's look at how Paul addresses the church in chapter 1 of Ephesians 30 or 40 years earlier. This is, this is how they started. Paul says, this is why since I heard, Paul's like, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and for your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as, as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you might know what is the hope 
of this calling? What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? Paul is saying, listen, isn't God amazing? Isn't what Christ has done for us everything? And as you see it, you're going to respond to that. And this hope is going to well up in you. This hope of the calling and the wealth of his glorious inheritance. That knowledge that, that I'm not forsaken. Even if I'm an orphan, I'm still adopted and I belong. He wants you to know that. And that there's this immeasurable greatness in Christ. And that your faith is what's important. He starts there. He's not saying don't, don't do these things. He's saying it must come from faith, a heart of faith, a heart of love for Jesus. We see this in so many ways throughout Scripture. And there's so many things, I can't even name them all. But one came to mind even this week as I was looking at the Scripture. Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And, and, and someone comes and says, wants to bring their offering to the Lord. Wants to say, hey, listen, I've got, I've got a gift, I've got a talent, I've got something I... I want to give you, I want to lay this down at your altar because it's all about you and how amazing you are and I, I just want to make sure you know that. That's great. But what did he say? He says, you're, you're offering, you bring an offering to the altar and there, there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. What, what's what's the, the encouragement here? What's the, what's the instructions? He says, leave. Leave your gift there in front of the altar and go first and be reconciled with your brother and sister or sister, and then come offer your gift. Gifts are great. Works are great. Yes, from the heart. Here it is, Lord Jesus. But he says what's more important is to make sure this love thing is taken care of. Like, like you can have the best gift in the world, and it's right there, and Jesus is like, I don't care about that at all, because there's something else that needs to be fixed first. Because it has to come from a motivation of love. You, 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 if, you, if you're in that spot, you've lost your first love. It's like, well, God, I'm doing the work. Here it is. I mean, I'm showing you how much I love you, and I, I, you're still great. I am great, but there's some things you need to take care of, and it starts in the heart. Set your gift aside and go and be reconciled, and then come back. So Paul is saying, listen, church, you're awesome at love. Make sure you don't do works without love. Make sure love is always first and taken care of first. Paul closes the Ephesians with this in uh, verse 24 of chapter 6. He says, grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. If we want to receive grace, if we want to experience grace, we want to walk in God's grace, he says, grace be to all of you who have an undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Who get up in the morning and just, God, thank you for you. I know I'm not going to, I'm not going to live up to your standard today. I'm not going to be able to, to meet my standards for myself today. But God, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to walk in love with you. I'm going to be thankful for what you have offered me, what you have given me through the cross. I'm going to walk with you in love. Now listen, I, at this point, I don't know if you're feeling a bit numb. Uh, maybe you've been feeling numb lately, or maybe like you've, you've lost your first love, or, or at least maybe you think, man, man, my love for Christ has cooled down. It happens to all of us. We get in a rhythm and a routine. It's like, this is great. This is awesome. I can't wait. This is going to be amazing. And it, and it is, and then we kind of let it cool down, and we still do the works, and now, and now we're in a seat like, Asking, what is going on? Like, how? This doesn't feel right. It, it's not. We've got to go back to our first love. And I, I, I know how you feel. It's so easy, even as a pastor, to walk in works, to walk in job, duty, and, and just performing day in and day out and trying, trying to do the best I can to be the best. But I can't be. I certainly cannot be if I do not have my first love. The other day I was, I was coming back, I don't know, from one of my many places, things. And I was just driving and I'm like, oh man, I just felt the weight and the burden of, of, of trying to make it work and, and make everything fit and be, be what everyone wants me to be or who I want me to be. I just, I pulled over, I literally pulled over on the side of the road. I pulled out a texting. I texted all of the elders. I said, just pray for me. I'm, I'm okay. Just pray for me. This burden is heavy, and I, I need that joy back, and I, I don't need a phone call. Just, just pray. I'm good. And I know. They, they prayed, and they reached out later on, and they, they prayed, and it was awesome. As soon as I put my phone down, and I, I was getting back on the road to start driving again, a song came on the radio I'd never heard before. 
and it was just reminding me again. I, and, and listen, I've, I've been wrecked going through this for like the last few weeks. And it was reminding me again of how deep God's love is and how, how deep he showed that to us through his scars in his hand. Right? Through his offering himself, through the blood poured out. He said, listen, this is how much I love you. Can't you see that? And I wanted that back again. I got that back. I, I remembered that again. That that's where this stems from is this love for Jesus. Listen, as our love cools, we have to be careful because it's a, it's a familiar pattern in church history when our love wanes or cools. And we're going to see that through all these different letters to the different churches as we go forward in this series. But it begins with a cooling, right, of the church's love for Jesus. And we just kind of go through the motions. But, but when love cools like that, that love cools, that love is replaced eventually with a love for worldly things. So maybe you're in a place of, my love's kind of cooling right now. I'm feeling a little numb. Listen, it's, that's, I'm glad you're there. I'm glad you can admit that. Be vulnerable and, and yes, but you've got to go back. You've got to go a different route because if you stay there and think, oh, it'll work itself out. I just got to take time. It, it, will, it will eventually, your heart will ignite towards something different. And it will be things of the world. Then compromise and corruption will follow with a departure from the faith or faithfulness to the word of God, and certainly we will lose our effective testimony to the world around us. But it starts back at the very beginning with the first love that we have. So how can you tell? You know, yeah, you can ask a question. Right. Well, I think, yes, that's a good question. So the question is, am I talking about just the feelings we have for Jesus? Uh, and, and the answer is yes and no. Um, as, as a marriage, the same way, right? There, there are different types of love. There's agape love, which is that self-sacrificial, I'm laying my life down, I'll do anything for you, love. And that love is a choice. That love is an active choice that we have to lay our lives down. And as we, as we do that, there's also this, no, this knowledge in a marriage, right, that there's this phileo love, this brotherly love. That says, listen, I got your back. We, we're going to go through this together. We're friends, and we can t- share with each other, and we can be vulnerable and not, be, not face ridicule from one another, but we can still face like maybe some, some um, uh, correction and discipline, but not ridicule. And then there's that eros love, that, that, that hot love, that, that passionate love, right? That's a feeling love that grows also, and that flame intensifies. And that needs to be kindled as well, but that is kindled with agape love and with phileo love. And that's, so we're talking about a marriage. How is it with the Lord Jesus then? How is it that our love cools? Here's here's where our love cools. We forget, we don't put in front of us the deep agape love that Jesus Christ has had for us, and we don't let that anymore affect who we are and what we do and how we respond. What what would be our response, uh, and we'll see in a few minutes, uh, to the Lord Jesus, a a, a God who is so loving and so merciful, it would be like, God, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'm all yours. I'm all in. Let's go. And we do that. But when we make that choice to forget or we question or we doubt God's love and we doubt God's faithfulness, and it's hard too. Like, how can we doubt that? Jesus Christ died on a cross. He, He spread his arms out and died and gave himself for you and me. How can we doubt his love? Well, it's because we've, we've received that love, we feel. We're saved, we're forgiven, and, and now we're moving on. And, and when we move on, we expect some kind of new revelation, some new idea of God's love. And what God has promised is, I died for you, and I've, I've got you safe and secure for all eternity. And guess what? I'll be with you always. And all you need is faith. Trust in me. And that remembrance goes back to knowing who God is, knowing his agape love. But as we forget that, and we set that aside, and as we question and wonder, is, does God really, is, I don't, I don't know, I'm not, I don't feel, I don't, the cooled off love is I don't feel him. I'm not feeling it. Go back, see what he did. You don't have to feel it, you have to see it and know it, and, and you believe it in faith, and that then informs those feelings again. It reignites. See, even as what we sing in, on Sunday morning or, or, or what we read in our Bibles, it should be informing us that God is good, God is loving, God, God is a gracious God, atoning for sin for you and for me. And that love then should inform us, inform our feelings, and our passions should, should grow, both in agape, love back to him, but also in eros love for him, and phileo love for him, and for the brethren. Those should be kindled. So how can you tell? How can you tell if maybe you're cooling off? First of all, I think that if any of us are sitting here now hearing 
the Lord Jesus, we're probably feeling some conviction in some way, right? How can you tell? That is the joy. That's one of the ways you can tell, right? let Let me read through a couple of my lists here. You feel like you're just going through the motions. How can you tell if your love's growing cold? How can you tell if maybe you've lost your first love? You feel like you're going through the motions. Next, I put down, there's no song from your soul. There's no song from your soul. Listen, I, I've, I've been in church long enough to know that, that when we sing, it, it is an attitude of the heart. No matter how good or bad the worship team is or the song is, I mean, we, it is an attitude that we have to start with right here, amen? And, and, if, and now it's going to make you uncomfortable because the report card for if there's a song in your heart can be, not always, but can be, whether or not we're even moved to sing a song. If the singing part of church is like, boring, I'm out of here, your love might be getting cold. I, I hate to say that, but listen, if you're looking for a spouse and you're like, hey, that person might be single, just wait and watch and see how they sing. Do they sing? Because that kind of love is an overflow of the heart. Now, that is a challenge to me and to you. So if you feel like you're going through the motions or maybe there's no song in your soul, and and this is what Theo said a minute ago, if you're well, you're well, right? That that pit of like what's going to be filled up. If the well of joy and hope seems to be running on empty, you may have began to cool your love for Christ. You see, that's what... That's what moves us. That's what keeps us going, is the joy and the hope we have through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he gives that to us freely. And we're like, did he really give it? Yeah, no, he really did. Finally, I wrote down, and there's lots of these, but I wrote down, if God's word feels like a burden and not a gift, your love might be running cold or growing cold. So what do we do? This is the question. So Jesus has given the church a report card. And, and by the way, as we look at our report card, this, I, I hope you understood that this is not just for a church, it's for individuals, right? It's for you and I. Like, like the rest of the church might be going great, and I might be the problem, so I need to look at my own heart. It's not that the whole church had this thing against them, but certainly he's saying, listen, this is what I'm seeing, and you need to know. So what, what do we do? What, what's the, the fix? That's number three, the admonition, right? Here, here's what he tells us we can do. And there's three things. Remember, repent, and repeat. Remember, repent, and repeat. Remember, repent, and repeat. It's so important, but it works. Let's, let's go look at the text here. Verse 5 of Revelation 2. Remember how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. So remember how far you've fallen. This goes back again. How, how well do you remember? How, how well do you know the depths that you were separated from Christ? Like how, how far were you separated from Jesus? All the way, Right? To hell is where we were separated. But God, who's rich in mercy, right, is drawing us into a faith and relationship with him. He's eager to forgive us our sin. Remember how far you've fallen. There was a place where you embraced that grace through faith and you trusted and your hope was sure and set in him. And then you kind of got cold and wandered away. He said, no, 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 wait, wait, remember. Go back and remember. Remember this. I want to I read a couple of different uh, passages here about this. Let's read the rest of this verse here. Remember, repent, and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, otherwise, I will come to you. I will come to you. And this isn't like, hey, by the way, remember, I'm, I'm coming again someday. This is the Lord Jesus saying, I will come to you, and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This is, this is weighty for you and I. Right? As a body of believers, as the church, right? as we meet, as we gather, as we pray, as we proclaim his greatness and the mercies of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, it's so important for us to get this, that the, the works and looking great and being awesome isn't enough. He wants our heart. It has to come from our first love. And if we don't get that, and if we just do certain things, or if we, we cancel it all and do something different just to do, Jesus says, if you do not repent, I will remove you. This is God's church. And we have a responsibility to him, not to make it what we want it. We have a responsibility to the Lord Jesus. And if if we aren't fulfilling that, 
he says, I will come and I will remove you unless you repent. Later on in verse 7, he goes on, he says, let anyone, anyone, not just the church, right? Anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So this is the admonition. It's to remember, repent, and repeat, and there's a promise alongside of it. Jeremiah, I'm going to read a couple passages here as we close. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. It says, The word of the Lord came to me. Go and announce directly to Jerusalem that this is what the Lord says. I remember the loyalty of your youth. So he's, the Lord is speaking this to us, right? I remember the loyalty of your youth. Your love as a bride. What is, what's the Lord saying? I, I remember when you were in love with me. I remember when your devotion was extreme, when it was like, I'm all in. It's, it's nothing else matters. It's only you. I remember that. He goes on. It's just, and that's that honeymoon love, right? That love that was kindled because of what God had done and what Jesus has done for us. It says, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. Like, this is, this is the best. These are my people, and, and, and I'm your God, and we have that relationship. And then he says, all who ate of it found, uh, found themselves guilty. Disaster came to them. Anyone who wanted to pick away at Israel had to, had to answer to God, right? That's a protective husband to Israel. This is the Lord's declaration. Verse 4 of Jeremiah 2, he says, Hear the word of the Lord, house of Jacob, and all the families of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Now here's, here's where they went wrong. He says, what fault did your ancestors find in me that they went so far from me. You see, you see how do we lose our first love? We, we, we loved him, and he was awesome, and he led us through, and he provided for us, and then we kind of waned, and we weren't feeling it. We didn't remember. And what happened? We found fault in God. And then what happened? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. What happened? They found fault. They stopped asking. So here's the thing we should ask. If they stopped doing this, we should not stop doing this. So they stopped asking, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt? There, see, here's a question that we need to ask of the Lord, right? God, continue to show yourself. Continue to remind me. Continue to reveal yourself to me. I don't want to stop anticipating all that you've done. I don't want to stop looking for you to show up and, and knowing that I have hope in you. I don't want to stop trusting in the Lord. I don't want to stop living and walking by faith. That's, what, that's the admonition there. Don't ask. Don't ask where, where, or don't stop asking, where is he? Don't stop looking for him. Don't stop anticipating him. Remember what he has done and put your trust and hope in him. So remember, that's the first thing Jesus said. He said, repent, or sorry, remember, and then he says, repent. In Hosea, we find that in chapter 14. It says, Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words of repentance with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our iniquity and accept what is good so that. Okay, so the repentance is there. It's a God, we've messed up. We've fallen away from you. And, and this, is, this was me in my car. This was me in my car a few days ago. Coming to that place of I remember who he is. And it, it, just, it was just a brief minute. It doesn't take a year to come back to the love for the Lord. It was a brief moment for me, and I, I just I remembered who he is. I was reminded about who he was. I repented. I said, God, I, I, I need you. I, I Forgive me. Let me focus on you. And then I didn't even know the so that part was going to happen. But here it says so that. So we repent so that we may repay you with praise from our lips. Where does that praise from our lips come from? Right there, the heart. You see, when we remember and when we repent, Guess what comes after that? Praise from our heart. Love for the Lord Jesus. Uh, maybe a, a, a love that was lost and is found again. A remembrance and, a, and a, just a, a joy. He went on in Hosea, Assyria will not save us, right? Because we, we, we had turned to other places. They won't save us. We will not ride on horses. Uh, they will no longer proclaim our gods uh, to the work of our hands. For the fatherless, for the fatherless receives compassion in you. Like I'm not, I, and that's part of repentance, right? I'm going to stop looking other places. It's only in Christ we can find this. It's only in His love and His great mercy for us. 
the fatherless, you and I, orphans, receive compassion from God. And then he says, I will heal their apostasy. I will freely love them. I will freely love them. That relationship will grow again. That will be rekindled again. That he is God and that he is good. He is trustworthy. And then out of that joy that comes from remembering and repenting, then the works will come. Because he, he, he went on to say up there, he said, do the works you did at first. They were the same basic works they did then. But it was a little different. In Thessalonians, we see this. He's, Paul writes to the First Thessalonian church, or Thessalonian church in First Thessalonians. We recall in the presence of God the Father your work. So again, saying, man, just like Jesus, we know your work, your labor, your endurance. We know this, right? He's saying it. We recall your work. But he, he, he adds this in because it's so important. He, we recall your work produced by faith. Your labor motivated by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that it, then it comes back. We, that's the repeat the works. Go back to that. It's, we're going to do those things, but it's not just thou shalt, that, thou shalt, thou shalt. It's a, it's a real, from the depths and core of who I am, because of who God is, because of what God has done for me. So I remember, I repent, and He forgives me, and, and so that I might repay Him with praise from my lips, I might be motivated to work based produced from faith, labor motivated by love, and endurance inspired by hope. We can repeat the works we had at first because of a proper motivation, not just going down the list, but real devotion to God out of His great love for us. Verse 7, let anyone who has ears to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, the one who conquers, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life. So he's saying, listen, I, remember there's a promise here. The, the conquerors are going to have this hope that is an enduring hope and that you will be in heaven with me forever. Stop waiting to figure it out. Stop waiting to be better. Stop waiting to, to make more approval for yourself. Stop waiting. Jesus has already conquered for you. John writes, same author of, of Revelation in 1 John, actually got this at the same time he had gotten Revelation or at the same time frame. This is what the love of God is, is to keep the commandments. Right? It shows our love when we keep his commandments. His, his commands are not a burden. Because everyone who has been born of God, this is that relationship we enter, enter into in faith, anyone who's born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world. Our works? No. Our obedience? No. Our faith? It's our faith. It's from the heart. We're conquerors because of our faith in Jesus Christ, and He has forgiven our sin. Uh, who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God conquers so when when, when he writes uh, jesus gives us this letter he says uh, to the one who conquers that's me and you if we believe that, that we conquer because he has conquered the death and grave for us and we'll be able to eat of the tree of life we are conquerors last passage turn to romans with me i i, I think it's important that you can underline some scripture if you do that romans chapter 8 Verse 1. This is just a, a help to reminder, right? Remember, repent, repeat. Th this is where our heart should go. This is where our love should grow. Because of Christ, verse 1, it says this, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that should be like, thank you, Jesus, I will love you forever goes on i want to skip down to verse 31 there's a lot here read romans 8 as a family later verse 31 if there's no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus what then are we to say about these things if god is for us who can be against us he did not even spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him grant us all things who can bring an accusation against god's elect god is the one who justifies who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress 
or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The answer is no. As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. We feel it. We feel the pain. We know it's there. There's stressors all over the place, but can that separate us from the love of God? No. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. There's the word we saw in Revelation. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, that is the reminder worth being reminded about. That is where we have to go back to and and let our love grow from. To be reminded that God's love is huge and that, yes, my love can grow cold and I can I can start to get numb and I can start to just go through the motions, but I need to stop. I need to remember. I need to remember he's the one that, that forgave me. He's the one that offered himself for me in my place. I need to repent of my own sin and my own wrongdoing and come back to him. And I need to repeat the works based on and motivated from love and the love he has for us. Uh, this is not by accident. I'm going to read this book. Okay? I, I, I know, listen, I, I just, letters to the churches, report card. Okay? You you may see, or you, your love may be a sign, right? A sign your love might be growing cold if we continually wonder why we are in church so long. I, being honest, I'm, I've been reminded of so many missionary stories, so many churches in, in countries that are way hotter than what I'm feeling right now, right? I mean, it's, they walk miles. To, they, they really have the two, the, the two miles uphill both ways thing. Yeah. They, in their bare feet, into a, into a tent with dusty floors to spend all day in God's presence and with God's people because their love is so full. I get we want to go home. I get we have lunch. I get that we're, there should be a conclusion. I get that our attention span is only so long. I'm good with that. But I, I have to get over it at times too. And, I, and one of the things is this. I, as I... I was honest with you about the vulnerability and transparency and just I'd being wrecked by this. I'd ordered a book this last week, and as a book for our children's ministry, I wanted to look through it and kind of analyze it and see if it might be a good tool to use or maybe give to parents. So I, as I'm praying through this and I'm wrecked through this this morning, right, from the mailbox comes in a box with this book in it. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And of course, I'm being wrecked, so what do I want to do? I want to distract myself with something else. <laughs> I open the book, and I start reading it, and I'm going to read it to you. Yeah, sit around in a circle, that's fine. <laughs> Wherever you go, I want you to know. That's the story title. Listen, little one, I want you to know. I have a big dream wherever you go. There's so much to do and so much to see. It's fun just to wonder about all you could be. Perhaps you'll, fall, you'll fly planes that go whoosh right up high. Or maybe you'll raise crops that grow tall as the sky. You could be a chef and make meals for a king. Or maybe on stage you'll perform as you sing. But whatever you do and wherever you go, I have a big dream I want you to know. Perhaps you'll build houses with stone upon stone. Or help as a doctor and fix broken bones. You could be a teacher and read every day, or maybe an artist who sculpts out of clay. If you sing or you cook, if you farm, teach, or fly, if you know all about all the stars in the sky, whatever you do, wherever you go, I have a big dream I want you to know. The world's a big place full of good things and bad. Adventure awaits you. Some happy, some sad. Sometimes you'll lose and come in last place. Sometimes you'll win with a smile on your face. You may fall in love or fall out of a pain. I, 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 I didn't write this, okay? They have a parachute on. I'm, I, <laughs> you may fall in love or fall out of a plane. Enjoy sunny skies or dance in the rain. 
If you go far away or stay close to home, if we chat face to face or talk on the phone, whatever you do, wherever you go, I have a big dream I want you to know. It's something exciting, something supreme. It's my greatest of hopes, my dream of all dreams. I pray you love Jesus with all of your heart. Whatever you do, that's the right place to start. He made you. He loves you. He's good, kind, and true. Jesus brings joy, whatever you do. He died for your sin. He makes all things new. You can trust in his words. They're faithful and true. Walk with him. Talk with him. Day after day. Follow King Jesus, the life, truth, and the way. I love you so much, I want you to know. I'm cheering you on wherever you go. And whatever you do, wherever you start, I pray you love Jesus with all of your heart. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, your love should not be lost on us. But sometimes we forget. God, help us to remember the love that you've shown us as you gave Jesus to us. Help us to let that be a motivation for everything we do and say. As we navigate this crazy world and crazy life, that we would walk in love and walk by faith. God, help us to examine our own hearts. God, if we have let our love grow cold, help us to, to do what's necessary, to remember, to repent, and repeat so that you might well up in us, God, the joy and hope that we need. We trust you. We offer you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.